0: Well, good morning again. My name is Sean. It is an honor and a privilege to be here with you guys. And like Greg was saying, yeah, I had the opportunity to go through the, uh, this, the pastoral seminars um, with these guys and Greg and Marty and, and Ray and, and Jerry who's here. And i uh, tell you what, it was pretty intimidating you know, as a, a non-pastor to be able to be in a room with a bunch of other pastors Right and and to have to present to these guys a a, you know five minute message or a five minute breakdown of a scripture that we were studying it's intimidating a lot like it's intimidating this morning here with you guys so um, (laughs) but but the cool thing about that is regardless of how nerve wracking it is and intimidating is it, it is something that stretches you a little bit right it pushes you out of your comfort zone and makes you have to rely even more on God to to get you through that right I remember I was thinking back as I was going through. Um, as I was working through this, um, through like the first time that I can recall standing in front of a church, a congregation, and and presenting something. And it, it was probably about 23, 24 years ago. I think it was before my wife and I were married. I know that. Um, and uh, they asked me to to do one of the Advent candles. You guys know what an Advent candle is, right? And, and in the Advent candle, you know, they get these 12 of them, and they give you a little speech to read, and, and then you have to light this candle. And I remember... I made it through the speech okay. Again, this was pretty much the first time I really ever did anything like that. So I made it through the speech pretty good. But then I had to light this candle, right, this stupid candle. And I remember being so nervous. And, and I had this lighter, and my hand was going like this. And I was having so much trouble lighting this candle. And I remember audibly, audibly, right, And keep audibly, someone in the congregation, oh, my gosh, look how nervous he is. He can't even light the candle, which made me worse, right? I got even worse and more nervous, but I can tell you I've come a long way, right? God has given me the opportunity to to do things like this on on, on multiple occasions, And, and I truly just am blessed with the opportunity, and I want to thank Fred and and Greg and Marty for giving me this opportunity and trusting me enough to be up here. Fortunately, no one left the first service. So I think we're okay. If <laughs> we can get through this. So, um, but I do want to just jump into the scripture. So if you guys could open your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, if not, it'll be up here. Uh, Philippians four ten through 20. Okay. So he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly because once again, you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. And in any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship." And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except for you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you gave gifts for my need several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have in abundance. I am fully supplied. I have received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for these words that you spoke through Paul. Thank you for um, the opportunity that we have to learn from those words, to grow from those words. Lord, I pray that you would just right now even as I stand here, Lord, to open up our hearts, open up our minds so that we can receive whatever it is that you want to show us and teach us. Lord, we give you all the glory for what's about to happen. And we know and we expect you to do incredible things. Fill us with your spirit in your name. Amen. So three things that Paul kind of walks through in this scripture. First and foremost, this, this passage of scripture is a thank you letter to the Philippian church, right? He wants to thank them for their continued support throughout his ministry, right? The second thing is Paul is, is, is want, wants to let them know that they have accomplished something pretty incredible, right? That they've been doing some incredible stuff through their giving, right, through their continued support. And the third thing is, this is where we're going to spend a lot of our time this morning, is, is Paul wants us to have this idea of what contentment looks like in our lives, Right? Contentment, some one of those things I think that oftentimes we, we may look at and it's some mythological thing and there's no way in the world that we can find contentment. It's a unicorn, right? That's impossible. I'm not content. I can't be content. There's too much stuff to worry about, too much things to do, too much more to get. But Paul's telling us that it is very much possible to have contentment in our lives. And I want you to think... Um, to, to what makes you content, right? Maybe for some of us, it's, uh, it's going on vacation, right? Maybe it's going to the beach. I love going to the beach, right? Maybe it's, you know, having our beach chair set up, feet in the sand, looking at the vastness of the ocean and the beauty of it, hearing the ocean waves crashing on, right? That's contentment. That's just kicking back, relaxing. You got a little radio music going next to you and it's enjoying life. Right? Don't we wish that life could be like that every single day? That ocean, right? Maybe contentment for some of you guys is, is seeing your grandkids who you haven't seen for a few months or even years, right? You know, they come to visit you and you get to see how much they've grown and you get to share and and and, and take them places and spoil them a little bit, and, and you get to hear the stories that they have to tell you. Right? Maybe that's contentment for you. Maybe contentment is is, is Christmas morning, right? You wake up. Your kids come running down the stairs and the excitement of seeing these presents and opening them up and, and ripping into them and, and the joy that they have when they get the gifts that they so badly wanted. And we can sit back and watch and it's like, eh, I did pretty good, not so bad. right? For me, um, and I think a lot of us can probably share in this, this sentiment here, um, you know, back in you know, March of 2020 when COVID hit, um, you know, I, I was sent home from work and for you guys who know me, I'm a social person, right? And I need interaction with people. And I, I enjoy interaction with people. I know some people are like, what the heck is he talking about? Why would you ever enjoy talking to people? Right. But I do. I enjoy talking to people. I like to meet people. Right? So being at work is an opportunity for me to interact with my you know fellow employees. And so they they sent me home and that was tough. I, you know, I've not ever worked really worked from home before and and I really wasn't looking forward to it. I can tell you now, after doing it for you know, over a year and a half, I love it. <laughs> I don't want to go back to work, right? I'd rather stay home. Because uh, <laughs> there's, there's some, some definitely advantages to it, right? But, but the problem was is then not only did I get sent home from work, then everything started to shut down, right? We, the businesses started closing. The restaurants started closing. The things that we traditionally like to do, you know, on an evening to go, get out and to do some stuff, that we couldn't do those any longer. Not only that, then churches started to close, right? Our church closed. We weren't able to come to church on Sunday mornings. So basically, my day consisted of, again, as a social person, this was terrible. My day consisted of waking up out of my bed, walking 10 feet over to my office in my bedroom, sitting there all day long, right? And then my day was over. I got to have my big commute home down the steps to the living room and sitting in my living room all day long (laughs) because there was nothing to do. That's what we did. There's no place to go. At some point, though, I decided, you know, I got to do something else. I got to get out of this house a little bit. So I set up a chair on my porch, and I would go out and have lunch. Um, and and I, that's not so bad. You know, it's getting me out of the house. It's not too bad. So I took some time on a weekend. I grabbed my kid, both the kids, I think. Actually, helped me, surprisingly. But I think I grabbed the, the kids, and, and we cleared the porch off, and we cleaned it. And we made some room. I got some chairs. I got a refrigerator out there. got a TV out there. I put uh, some, some heaters above me so in case it got too cold, I could have some nice comfortable heat, right? And I started to spend a ton of time on the porch. And I enjoyed it. I found contentment in that through those struggles of, of being alone and being at home. I'm not alone, because I was at my wife and kids. And we had some great times playing board games. And don't get me wrong, this wasn't all bad. But, but, but it, for me... Personally, I needed an escape, and this was my escape. Saturday mornings were the best, right? I'd wake up in the morning. I went and got some ribs, put some ribs in the smoker, right? Get those things going, have a coffee in hand, put some music on, kick back and just relax, enjoy that Saturday morning. That's contentment. Man, I couldn't wait to eat those ribs. This was exciting. This is going to be great, right? But here's the thing with all those things. They're temporary, they don't last. They're fleeting, right? The beach is great and nice when it's nice weather. We were there in September with some friends. I can tell you that the weather wasn't great. <laughs> the wind was blowing so bad, you go on the beach, and, and you get sandblasted, and you lose three layers of skin because the, the sand's just crushing you, right? There was a couple days where it was so humid out that when you walk out of your door, you immediately sweat. It's like soup. That's not contenting. I don't feel great about that, right? We, I was on vacation to the beach with my, my family in North Carolina, and the beach is beautiful, right? The ocean's beautiful, but do you ever go to North Carolina and you see the wild horses? There's not so much to be content about when they stop right in front of you and do their business. It's not that fun. I don't want to see it, right? It goes away pretty quickly. Kids in the morning, Christmas presents, right? They, they open their gifts. It's great. It's fun. And, and you're having a great time with it. You know what? Eventually kids will be kids and they start bickering and fighting. <laughs> you know, oh, why do you get this? This is better than mine. Why do they get this? Why do you get five packages and I only got three packages? Right? <laughs> That's not so contenting. Right? Even for me on the porch. The porch is great. You know, whenever it's morning and, and, and early afternoon and the sun is behind the house. But eventually, that sun comes creeping over the house, and it's right in my face, and it's hot, and the sun is blinding me, and I don't really want to sit outside and be hot. Those things go away. We're naturally not content people, right? And the reason is, is that we have a tendency to put those things that we think bring contentment in a position where they shouldn't be. We elevate them to the position where only the creator should be. These are the things that we think are important to us. These are the things that we think we need. But truly, they're just the things that we want. Paul really struggled throughout his ministry and and had to deal with some tough times, right? Right? And if we looked at his life, which we will take a quick look at, we would, we would think, like, there's no way that this guy can be content with all that he had to go through. I'm going to go through a couple of these things. These won't be on the screen or anything until we get to the one verse. But Acts 14.9, it says that Paul was stoned and he was dragged out of the city. Acts 16.22-23, he was severely flogged and thrown into jail. 18.12, Acts, attacked and brought in front of the tribunal. Simply for encouraging people to worship God. In uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 3 through 10, this will be on the the screen if you want to open your Bibles, you can. Paul kind of lays it out for us and gives us a really good description of what his life looked like, right? And both the good and the bad because keep in mind, while Paul went through a lot of struggles, Paul was a special type of guy and, and he truly understood what contentment was. And we get to see that here a little bit. He said, Verse three, we are not giving anyone occasion for offenses so that the ministry will not be blamed. Instead, as God's ministers, we commend ourselves in everything, by great endurance, by afflictions, by hardships, by difficulties, by beatings, by imprisonments, by riots, by labors, by sleepless nights, by times of hunger. All tough things, right? But he goes on and says, by purity, by knowledge, by patience, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, through weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, through glory and dishonor, through slander and good rapport, regarded as deceivers yet true, as unknown yet recognized, as dying yet see we live, as being disciplined yet not killed, as grieving yet always rejoicing, as poor yet enriching many, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. If anyone had the right to be discontent, Paul probably had the right to be discontent. He's writing this from jail. And I don't think any of us sitting in this room right now, if we were sitting in jail, would be, whew, this is pretty awesome. I'm enjoying this time here. I'm finding great joy. It's not really the case. Paul, in verse 10, We'll jump into this. It says that I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but you lacked the opportunity to show it. Despite all of what Paul was going through, despite the circumstances that he was in, despite him sitting in a jail cell, Paul says that I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Paul also says that he, that, that he was happy that they renewed their gift giving to him, the, the, they renewed the supply chain that was coming to help Paul. Now we don't know why it went away for a while. I know that Jerry talked about in a, you know chapter two, you know, Paphroditus brought the gift, and I believe this is what we're talking about here. But then he got sick. So, uh, but but we don't know where that gap was, right? Why they stopped giving. But what we do know is that they began to give again, right? And they never lost the the desire to give to Paul. They just didn't have a chance to do so. They couldn't do it, whatever that looks like, right? It's important that we keep an eye on, keep those in our minds because Paul is beginning to to let the Philippian church know that that what they're doing is an important thing, right? And, And he wants to acknowledge that, right? Because there's a payoff at the end that we're going to talk about a little bit. But I'm going to focus in on these first four or five words here. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, Paul was able to rejoice because Paul was in the habit of rejoicing, right? This was not a new thing for Paul, right? Philippians 4.4, 4, Fred talked about it last week. He says, I rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice, right? The word rejoice in Philippians was used 10 times, right? The word joy used 13 times. The word glad used 13 times. These are not typical words, that you find when someone's really going through it. Here's the reason, my first point. It's hard to find joy without being content. When we aren't content with where we're at in our lives, joy is a difficult thing. And when we don't have joy in our lives, when the struggles and the hardships and the difficult times start coming to us, we respond in a completely different way than that of rejoicing right that's not how we typically respond because again we are naturally discontented people right we have usually a few responses that we usually go to right i'm going to talk about those the first one we get filled with self right even if someone were to provide us help right we sometimes have a selfish response to A lack of joy. And when difficult times happen, we say to ourselves, you know, after all I've done for this church, after all I've done for my job, after all I've done for my family, after all I've done for my friends, why aren't they helping me? Or why did it take so long for them to help me? Right? When we don't have joy in our lives, we become selfish people. Right? When we don't have joy in our lives, maybe we respond in a way of self-pity. Right? Oh. Oh, here we go again. Woe is me, right? This is terrible. Why does this always happen to me? You know, why can't I ever catch a break? Ah, oh, this stinks. Every time, every time something good happens, something bad happens. Woe is me. When we don't have a joy in our lives, when we aren't content, we respond with self-pity. Maybe we become critical. You know, <laughs> why aren't they helping me? They help so and so. They help so and so. I saw this person and got this, but no one's helping me. You know, am I not good enough? You know, didn't I do enough for them? Right? Or maybe the last response we might have is worry and doubt. And this is probably the, the most common, worry and doubt. Right? We have a tendency when we don't have joy in our lives to just not understand that God is enough. And we worry about how we're going to make ends meet. We worry about how I'm going to take care of this thing or that thing. We doubt that what we have is enough. Without joy in our lives, without being content, when the difficult times come and, we, and the struggles come and, 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 the, and the hardships come, we are not prepared to properly handle those things. Paul was prepared because Paul rejoiced always. Because Paul was in the habit of rejoicing. Verse 11. Paul says, I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Now keep in mind, Paul is, is not telling, these, them, telling the Philippians these things because he needs any of this, right? And again, we, make, we, we shed some light on that here in a bit, right? But Paul is, is wanting them to make sure they understand that being content, and that's our next point, is learned. Being content is learned. This is not something that I can jump right into, right? I, I, I don't, I'm not born with contentment, right? God does not give contentment like other spiritual gifts, like teaching or preaching or evangelism or prophecy, right? This is not a gift from God. Contentment is a learned thing. It's a processed thing. It's something that we have to put some effort in, right? We have to take some time to, to learn it, right? Think about this. Right. Take a look back in your lives right, when you were a kid. And, uh, you know, I think way back for some of us, right? And uh, when you're a little kid, say seven, eight years old, the one thing that you want more than anything else is to be with the older kids, right? The one thing you want more than anything else is to be older because when you, you think and what will make you happy is that when I'm older, I can do more things. Right. I remember we had the restrictions. We can only ride our bikes on, a, on on our block. Right. But when we got older, we can ride our bikes a little bit further and we got older. Still, I can ride my bike all the way to the candy shop. Right. It was allowed because I was older. So we think, oh, that's going to make me happy. That's going to bring me joy. Once we get older, we get to high school. Right. And we are in school and school kind of stinks. <laughs> right. We, we, we have this in our head. that This is no fun right? I don't want to get up early in the morning. I don't want to have to do homework. I don't want to have to listen to my teachers. I want to do my own things. I want my freedom. You know what will make me happy? Getting out of high school and getting into college. That will make me happy because I'm going to have a ton of freedom then. So then we get to college. And college is great for a little bit. We have some fun, right? But then we quickly recognize it's still a lot of work. I still have homework. All the things that I didn't like in high school pretty much are still here in college, right? So then we start to wish, I can't wait to get out of college. You know what will make me happy? Getting into my job, start making some real money, having a career. That's going to make me happy. And you know what it is for a little while, fun and happy. You know, we, we, we make some money and we can do things that we typically weren't able to do prior to making some money, right? I can go buy some stuff. I can go do some stuff. Right? But, but work is work. <laughs> There's not too many people that love our jobs. Right? Maybe a few people. You know, being up here, I'm sure Marty loves his job, right? But, <laughs> but we're not too many people that just absolutely love our job. And we wake up in the morning like, "Woo, time to get to work. Right? Because we want more. Right? We get tired of working. So maybe, maybe we find a wife or a husband. We find love. That will make me happy. Right? That will make me joy. you know what? It has made me greatly happy. My wife's sitting over there, so I better say <laughs> It has made me extremely happy. I love being married, right? I love it. But even in marriage, even in all the bliss that is marriage, we want more. So let's have kids, right? That's a great idea. Let's have kids. That will make us so happy. Kids will bring so much joy. And it is that moment in time that we realize that was the stupidest mistake ever, (laughs) right? (laughs) What the heck is Paul talking about? I can never be content. This is crazy. I'm done, right? No, of course, my kids are the joy of my life. I couldn't imagine life without them. Right? But this is the, 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 the cycle that we go through. Right? We constantly, in every stage of our lives, want to move on to the next stage because we think the next stage is better. Right, We see the grass is greener when I'm a little older, when I have a job, when I have this. But the reality of it is typically not the case. Even now, we think about, and I, my wife this happens to her often. I think it happens to men, or not to women a lot more often than men, but we are we sitting watching TV or something at night and, and uh, you know, we, you get tired. Your eyes start getting heavy and you're like, ah, oh, I'm ready for bed. You know, my wife likes to read in bed and she'll go up and read her a little bit and then and, and, and turn the lights out and puts her head on the pillow and immediately her brain starts to run a thousand miles a minute, right? Men, it's a little different because men are pretty simple guys, right? We have boxes, and when we open the sleep box, we typically sleep, right? Women, if, if your man says, you know, if you, if you ask you what you're doing, your man says nothing, trust me, he's doing nothing because we have the nothing box open. That's what we're doing, right? But women can't do this, right? Because they're constantly thinking about what's next. What do I have to get done? What do I have to accomplish? How am I going to get there? How am I going to pay for this? Do I have time for this? right? Because when we don't have contentment in our lives, when we haven't learned what contentment looks like, this is the response we have. Verse 12. I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. And in all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. There we are again. Paul is telling us, you have to learn the secret. And And I was was going through this, and I was envisioning in my head, um, I love geeky, nerdy stuff, and you know, quest and all that fun things. And, and I imagined a, a guy on a quest to, to go meet the, to go find the meaning of life, right? Paul is at the mountaintop for us and, and we have to go on this quest and journey to get up to find the meaning of contentment, right? So that's what I imagined when I was going through. I know it's goofy, but whether we're well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, right? Paul, our next point here is saying that you can be content regardless Regardless of the circumstances that you're in. Regardless of the state of life that you're in. Regardless if you're young or old. Regardless if it's good or bad. Now it's pretty obvious that when we're struggling with things, that contentment is tough to find. Right? Maybe you're struggling financially right now even. And you don't, you're not sure how you're going to make ends meet. How you're going to pay that bill tomorrow, let alone feed your kids. It's tough when you're going through that. I've been there to find contentment. It's not easy to, you know, if you get a, a car, you know, a car you have to you have to get repairs on your car. How am I gonna come up with that three, four hundred dollars to do that repairment? Maybe it's a health thing for you. You know, I'm struggling with my health, I can't seem to get better. You know, nothing seems to work. The doctors don't know. It's hard to find contentment. I know for me, even yesterday, I went down with my uh, my brother and my sister and, and our ki- some kids, some, some of our kids, I should say some kids, some random kids, some kids, <laughs> our kids, right? We went down with our kids, and uh, we went to Steeler training camp, right? And I was excited. You know, I love the Steelers. I love football. I love sports. So it was cool to be going down there, hang out with my siblings and and my son and, and uh, you know, being able to just chill. And and uh... so I just started walking around. It was getting closer to the time we were going to go in, I started walking around a little bit, and uh, my knee just popped and gave way. I had a knee injury back in September. We were, uh, you know, a big surfing accident that we had, right, Brad? And <laughs> we, uh, we, I had a, a knee injury from then and just never really truly healed, but, but it was feeling pretty good and just popped. And I can tell you at that very moment that I was no longer content. I was miserable. How am I going to climb up these steps to get to my chair, right? Or maybe for some of us No, we 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 see the obvious. You know, lack of contentment comes from when we lose someone, right? Someone we're close with. It's hard to find contentment when we have a loss in our life. My mom was pretty sick a few years ago, and uh, she had COPD, and uh, she's suffering some from a lot of liver issues, and was on full-time oxygen, and we were able to get her on the uh, the transplant list her lungs, not her liver, her lungs, sorry, uh, get her on the transplant list. And, uh, and it was amazing that quickly she, they found a match for her, and we were able to get her in there to get a surgery to get the lung transplant. And uh, we were all excited about this, you know, my, my siblings, my dad, we were all just looking forward to the change of life that was going to happen because she was getting this lung transplant. You know, she was going to be able to do things she was never able to do before. She was going to be able to, to continue to, to live so that she can see her, her kids or her grandkids grow older and maybe even have kids of their own. But that was not what God intended. That was not God's plan. And shortly thereafter, the transplant, she, she, she got sick again and, and uh, she fell and broke her hip and, uh, and spent the majority of that rest of that time in the hospital full of infection. And, and my family and I had to make a tough decision to let her go. I can assure you that in that moment, during that time frame, contentment was the furthest thing from my mind. It was tough. It was hard. And maybe you're going through that right now. Paul also, though, gives us the opposite end of this, right? Not only gives us the, 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 the tough stuff, right? You know, when, I'm, when I don't have anything or, or I have very little, Paul said, I also have moments where I have abundance. And I have a lot. And I think it's important to recognize that that contentment is just as hard sometimes to find when we have an abundance of things. And the reason for that is because, again, because we're naturally discontented and we constantly want more and more and more. And despite what we have, we still want more. It's hard sometimes, maybe even harder to find contentment, right, when you have a lot. Most unhappiest people are those who have the most, right? Isn't that what they say? You know, it's, it's, it's easier to go through a needle. For a rich, it's harder for a rich man to go through a needle than it is for him to get to heaven, or get to heaven than it is for him to go through a needle. Sorry, I said that way wrong. Um, terrible. It's terrible. I'll never reference that again. <laughs> but it's tough when you have a lot. Right? There's a story about a man who, who is older in life. Right, he, uh, he, he, he wants to downsize, and so he decides to, to get rid of his house that he has. It's too big for him. He can't keep up with it anymore. But he doesn't want to sell it. He just wants to give it away. Right? Pretty cool. He just wants to give his house away. And, but he has a caveat to that. To, to, to take my house, you have to prove to me that you're content. Right? So he puts a sign out, and I, it doesn't take long. Obviously, if you saw someone giving away their house, a free house, you'd probably be up there pretty quickly to get to house. And this guy knocks on the door. The old man comes to answer and say, hey, buddy. And the guy's like, man, I would love to have this house. Guy says, sure, it's yours if you can prove to me that you're content. The guy begins to ramble on. Oh, I am completely content. I have everything that I could possibly want. I have a great job. I have a great family. My wife and my kids are wonderful. I, I have lots of money. I have lots of cool cars. I am completely satisfied. I am so happy. The old man smiles at him, looks at him and says, well, if that's truly the case, then why do you want my house? I have everything you need. Why do you want my house? The reason is contentment is not having everything you want. True contentment is wanting everything that you already have, right? When I am satisfied with what I have right now at this very moment, at this stage in my life, then I can truly find contentment. I can find the joy. I can rejoice in the Lord always. Verse 13. This is the moment we've reached the top of the mountain, right? We see Paul. Paul's going to give us the secrets, the meaning in life, how to be happy, how to be joyful. Verse 13 says, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. All right, let me start out by saying this. There is no question in my mind that if God truly wanted to, he can do anything, right? God can do anything. We've seen it throughout the Bible multiple times, right? You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fiery furnace and not harmed. That's a God thing. Right. Daniel was in the lions then, not harmed. That's a God thing. Moses part of the Red Sea. Right. Even today, we see things. We hear stories of, of of women who lift cars up to save their kid that's been stuck underneath. And I don't know if it's true or not, but you hear the stories. They're out there. I remember watching a YouTube video. You know, goofy things you do when you're sitting at home all day at work. <laughs> so you're you're watching. I watch his YouTube video, and there's this kid. This little kid in one of those, you know, those red and yellow little Tykes cars, and the kid's cruising down a hill. At the bottom of the hill, there's a car, right? And it's clear this kid is heading straight to this car. But then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this guy who should not be running as fast as he was running because he clearly was not in shape to do so, comes flying down this hill and saves the kid from true disaster, right? That's a God thing, because like I said, this guy could not be running that fast. There's no way that's happening, Right? So we 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 see those things. God can do incredible things, but this scripture, "I can do all things through Christ's strength," is not talking about that, right? In the context of what this scripture, where it is, it has nothing to do with that. What's my point here? So I remember when I was in high school. In high school, um, I went to Chesapeake Christian Academy, and uh, they the the school was full of posters right? There's posters everywhere, right? Posters of this scripture, that scripture. And I honestly think they use the posters to cover holes in the, in the walls, but I don't know, maybe. Uh, but there are posters, right? And I remember one poster very distinctly, and, it, and as I was going through, it just stuck in my mind. Maybe it's because the Olympics were just, you know, a week, ended a week ago, and I love watching the Olympics, and these, these athletes who, who can do incredible athletic things, right? But this poster was of a lady, and she was a hurdler, and the, the picture, the poster was, an, it was just a perfect shot of her jumping over this hurdle, right? She's about six inches off it. One leg's extended, the other leg's in the back. Muscles and just a cool shot, right? And underneath that it said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, let me tell you this. If someone were to come to me today and say, Sean, here's a million bucks right? All you have to do is go run the hurdles. I can assure you that tomorrow my bank account will not be any bigger than it is today. There is no way in the world that I'm running the hurdles. I barely can make it up the steps this morning, (laughs) right? If you put a pencil in front of me, I might not be able to hurdle that. That's just the reality of it. I'm a big dude. I'm not jumping over anything. Maybe you run through it, maybe, but even then that means I have to run and I don't want to do that either. Right? I am not going to have a million dollars tomorrow. Right? Someone who can't sing, guess what? If someone came to you, hey, you're getting invited to American Idol, you're not going to win it. You're not. It's not happening. You can't sing. It's okay. Just accept the fact and sing anyway because God thinks it's beautiful. Right? If I wanted to play golf tomorrow and never swung a golf club, I'm not shooting par. Right? It's not happening. I can pray over and over and over again, God give me strength. My God can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all. I'm not hitting the ball any better than I did just a few moments ago. That's not what this scripture is about. What it is about though, what it is about is that I can persevere through any situation when God gives me the strength. When God gives me the strength, I can overcome any obstacle. I can overcome any struggle. I can overcome any hardship. When God gives me the strength I can find contentment regardless of what everything and everyone around me is saying that I shouldn't be able to. Because God, at that point in time, takes control. My next point, contentment comes when we rely on God. When I pray to God, God, give me strength. I relinquish control of that situation from myself and I completely hand it to God. And at that point in time, God can do incredible things, amazing things. And regardless of what's going on in my life, regardless of the situation that I'm in, regardless of the circumstances that have arise, regardless of the pain that I'm suffering, God can find contentment for us. Here's the other thing that happens when, that, when, when, when we allow God to take control. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. It'll be up on the screen for you. He said, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, he is strong. When we admit that we are weak, When we admit that we can't do it on ourselves and we rely on God, God then takes complete control and gives us everything that we need to overcome any situation. But not only that, when we do these things and we allow God to take control, then God gets all the glory, right? And it's no longer about me, right? Running the hurdles and getting a million dollars, that's about me because I want the million bucks. Who doesn't want a million bucks? But it has nothing to do with God. But when I am struggling to find Finances to make ends meet, and I give God the authority and control of it, then at that point in time, God gets the glory because I could not have done it by myself. But God can do anything and all things. That's what this scripture is about relinquishing control and giving it to God, relying on Him, letting Him be in charge. Verse 14, still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardships. Paul continues to again acknowledge the fact that the Philippians church was doing well, right? They were doing the right things. And and he said, verse 15, and you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except for you alone. Paul was, if you guys remember, Paul was, um, had a vision. And in the vision, a man was begging and pleading with him to come to Macedonia to build a church to help them. So Paul went and he built the church of Philippi. Right? And then he left. And even when he left, when he went on to do other ministries, the church continued to support him and give to him. Right? And Paul is recognizing this because it's an important thing to do. In verse 16, he says, For even in Thessalonica you sent gifts for my needs several times. Even when he was working on other ministries, the Philippians continued to provide for Paul. And Paul says in verse 17, Not that I seek the gift. Keep in mind, Paul is really making it clear that this has nothing to do with him right? The gifts are not that, they're, they're, they're good. He needs them. He has the ministry to run. We need support when we're running ministries, right? We need help. That's the reality of it. But Paul's saying, I don't need this, right? Because I've learned to be content regardless. I've learned to get through it regardless. But what I seek is the profit that is increasing your account, Paul is recognizing, as the church continues to give and support him, that they are starting to bear fruit. That the church is learning. The church is growing. The church is becoming content. Because when we're content, we can do these type of things. right? And you can almost hear in Paul's voice as we're reading through this, the excitement that he has for what he's seeing. Because he's so happy. Because the payoff is going to come for each of them. My next point says contentment allows us to celebrate others. One of the uh, coolest privileges I've had is to, to lead small groups. I love them. I love the, the, the intimacy that happens when you're in a smaller group of people. That you know, just can't happen in church on a Sunday morning just because of the, the number of people. But when you're in a small group, you're able to, to really develop and grow relationships right? Um, when I was in my early 20s, I uh, started a small group at my mom's house um, with a group of younger guys. And uh, we would meet, we'd go and do a little Bible study, then we'd watch Monday Night Football or wrestling or do fantasy football, whatever. But, but we started to get together. And it was at that point in time that I started to recognize that, that I think this is what God is calling me to do, right? Because I felt a passion for it. And I love doing it. About 15 years ago, myself and my buddy Brad over here, he uh, joined with me and, and we started a, a men's group um, that, uh, that has been just an incredible part of my life. Um, just truly a privilege. And in that men's group, I've had the privilege to see hundreds of men come in and out of there. right, And men who have been very diverse in their spiritual walk with Christ. I have some men who have come in with, with drug and alcohol issues. We've had men come in here with, who were just divorced or, or going through divorces. We've had men come in here who, who were just in the infancy of their relationship with Christ. Or men who came in here were, were backslidden so much to a point where God was not important to them any longer. Right? But one thing that I've been able to see and, and, and be part of is seeing lives changed. Not by anything that I said or done. right? I assure you, because... There's nothing that I can do to change lives. God does all that work, but I can plant seeds and I can give opportunities. And I've had the privilege to watch these guys' lives change. I've seen men who, who, who were divorced now find the love of their lives and have been married and now elders in churches. I've seen men who, who are just starting their relationship with Christ who are, are now leading small groups themselves. I've seen guys who were struggling with drugs and alcohol no longer struggling with drugs and alcohol and, and kick the habit. Right? Again, nothing that I have did, but, but what God is doing in their lives. And Paul is seeing the same exact thing in the church of Philippians. Lives being changed because of what God is doing and the fruit being bared because God is changing their lives because they're content. He goes on in verse 19, and here's the big payoff, right? Or did I miss 18? Yeah, verse 18. But I've received everything in full and I have abundance. I am fully supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. What they're giving, God is pleased with. It's acceptable. It smells good because it's good. Verse 19. And this is the payoff, right? This is why Paul is so excited This is why Paul is so fired up for what they're doing, this church is doing. Because he says, and he says this fully confident that this is going to happen. He said, and my God will supply your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He didn't say my God's going to supply my needs. Because again, it's not about Paul. right? He's saying my God will supply your needs because of what you're doing, because of the fruit that you're bearing, and because what you're doing is pleasing to God. And because of that, God is going to make sure that you continue to have everything that you need. And as you continue to have everything that you need, then at that point in time, you can become fully contented. You can find the contentment that you seek because you know that God is providing everything that you need. Why do I need to worry about that? What concerns do I need to have if God is providing everything for me? But it takes work. right? It's not something that happens right away right and I'm going to leave you three things here that that I think will help to get us to where we need to be right the first one is we need to think biblically right get in your Bibles open them up start reading memorize some scripture don't let that thing collect dust it's there God wants you to use it. And here's what, here's what the coolest thing about it when you start thinking biblically, when you start studying the Bible, when you start memorizing verses, those thoughts and those things that cause us to doubt, those things that cause us to be critical, those things that cause us to, to be full of self, to be, be full of woe, tend to disappear because you know why? Because the things in my head are godly things. Not those things any longer. Number two, Pray continuously. Pray without ceasing. Right? When I find myself, and when you find yourselves feeling it, you know, that you're struggling, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. This is tough. Get on your knees. Go to God in prayer. Ask God to supply all of your needs. Ask God to give you the strength that you need. Ask God to let you, the Spirit fill you and overwhelm you so that you're no longer concerned with those things that I don't have, and I am excited and happy for the things that God is giving me. Prayer will do this for you, but you have to get down and you have to do it. We need to ask, we need to seek, we need to knock. Those things then will be given to you. God promises to never leave us or forsake us. God is there to provide. The third thing, third thing is to trust wholeheartedly. This is probably the most difficult thing to do, I think, right? To absolutely surrender every aspect of our lives. To lay it at God's feet and say, God, you are in control, right? For you guys to have little kids and for as parents, I think we, we see this, right? Our kids have a tendency to, to just listen and, and, and do, hopefully, do what we ask them to do for the most part, Right? We've been there. We know what's gonna happen. Don't put your finger in the socket. It's gonna hurt. Right? Some kids, idiots like myself, who will still do it. <laughs> but but for the most part, you hope that they learn because they trust the words that you're saying. Right? We should be just like that. Right? God gives us the pathway, God gives us the, 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 the way to contentment. Paul has laid it out for us, and so we just trust God in the process. Put our faith in Him. Put our trust in Him. The happiest people don't have the best of everything. They just make the best of everything. I don't have the best house. I don't have the best car. I don't have the most money. I have the greatest wife. See, brownie points. I have a a great family, right? But I don't have everything. But when I make the best of what I do have, I find contentment. And I promise you that God wants you to be happy. God wants you to find joy in your life. God wants you to find contentment. It's okay to have good things. It is. But God wants us to be content with exactly what we have at this exact moment in our lives. If we do this, we find joy. If we do this, then we can rejoice in the Lord always.